here for this too. You know, I think that if I had to choose my setting for musical worship, it would always be outside with the sun in my face. I'm glad that you were able to come this morning, 4th of July. It's weird to have a big holiday on Sunday morning, but I'm grateful that you all were able to come and join us. And this morning, uh, we're gonna be in Colossians 3. So if you have a device of some sort, you can pull that up. Weekend, the Weekend at Bernie's is a horrible example of 1980s movie entertainment. I'm looking at the age of some of you out there and perhaps you remember this movie. Uh, it's a horrible example of 1989 entertainment, but it's maybe a perfect example of what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, it's a story where someone pretends that this guy is alive, but he's dead. So the entire movie is them trying to keep up this farce that this guy is alive. They do all sorts of things. They put sunglasses on him so that people can't tell that his eyes are kind of droopy. They prop him up. They do a lot of other unmentionable things because of the age of certain people here in the room. But he's dead the whole time. It can be funny if you watch it. And again, 1980s, not great movie culture, okay? But it isn't funny if you've recently had someone die, which many of us in our community have. It's also not funny if you consider what really is happening. It's kind of gross, right? It's at least weird and perhaps creepy. And I would say in the movie, it just becomes silly. And really, it's wrong what they're doing. I planted some perennials this week, uh, this summer. And the last couple weeks, one of them started getting a little brown and crunchy. It was really hot. And I kept watering it, hoping you know what I'm talking about, any of you that have tried. And then eventually, it was clear this thing was gone. It was dead. And yet when I went through and I'm doing all of them, I just felt like, oh, I probably, just in case there's a chance, I'm gonna keep trying. And now, do you know what I keep doing? I'm watering the hole. I mean, there's nothing left of this plant, but I'm still watering in hopes that maybe it's gonna come back. When things are dead, they're dead, yes. Any Princess Bride fans, this came to me the other day. There's mostly dead, yeah, and then there's all dead, okay? Today we're gonna to talk about the all dead things. There was a picture on social media this last week, one more image for you, and it was, they had come upon a cicada. You know these big bugs that are very loud and they're large, and my friend saw the skin coming off, but it was still attached, she was still clinging to it, but it was gonna come off and my friend said, oh well this is kinda of neat and gross. So when I think about humans, flowers, there are, Times that I think maybe we as humans aren't so smart. <laughs> Flowers or trees, when they're dead, they just die. Animals, when they're supposed to shed their skin or get rid of something, they just let it go. We humans aren't as smart. Sometimes we hang on to the old, outdated, broken, really dead, dead things, thinking, oh, maybe I can fix this, or I'll just keep it for the spare parts. But today we're gonna talk about those times when things are dead, dead, and it's time to just let them go. We've been in a series this summer in Colossians. The Colossians were a young church just figuring out their faith. Some of them were Jewish. Uh, they had been faithful followers of Judaism. The Old Testament prophecies had pointed them to Jesus as their Messiah, as their King. Some of them were pagan, for, former worshiping a ton of different gods. And then they realized that there was only one God. These were women and men who had, hear, who had heard the good news from a man named Epaphras, and Paul, who was a friend of Epaphras, was kind of the big dog in the church. 
if you have ever gotten a letter from someone from like a famous place and it's not really for you, but they make it seem like it's to you, you're like, ooh, I got a, I got a letter from whomever. And you realize it's just a stock letter, but it's sort of, I don't know, makes you feel good. That's what it would have been like for this church. They got a letter from Paul, the guy who's in prison because of this message of Jesus. And Paul decides this church who's suffering persecution, obviously Paul himself is suffering persecution, they need to be reminded, to be pointed to Jesus. There were pressures from their old Jewish life to keep on the rules and making sure that they were doing things a certain way. There were pressures from the culture to look to Caesar really for their leadership and kingship. And Paul reminds them to follow Jesus and that it's Jesus alone that we need for salvation. Not the rules we easily confuse, maybe not my understanding of even what it is, but it's literally the person of Jesus who saves us. And in Christ, we have been made complete because that is how God chose to reveal himself to us. So as I remind people, and I'll probably say this a few times, when we read certain passages, we have a tendency to pull them out of a section and then look at them. The people receiving this, it would have been like a letter. When you get a letter in the mail that's personally addressed to you, do you like skip to the third page and just read a section of it and put it down and then come back later? No, we would have heard it in context. So again, remember, Paul has spent chapters pointing them to Jesus, how God has revealed himself in Jesus. And then they would come to chapter three. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore is a trigger word when you're studying the Bible. It again, if you haven't heard me already say, read this in context, therefore would remind you, what's the therefore? Therefore, anyone ever heard that? Okay, that's cheesy, but it might help you remember that. It refers to something else. That's what the word therefore is there for. It reminds us to read the Bible well. The previous section talks about what Paul is talking about right here. They were dead, dead in their sins, dead in a life that was leading them away from the source of life, who is God. And Paul says, you are dead now to that and Christ has made us alive. Verse three says, we have died and our lives are now alive because Christ is alive. If we are in Christ, everything that Christ went through, we did. And so Jesus who came back from the dead is alive. We then too can be alive. Not only is our life hidden in Christ, it says, covered up, fixed, redeemed, made whole, the broken parts are, you know, all the cracks are filled in. We're redeemed, Christ is our life. So that word life, this was one of our questions on Ask Us recently, what is life? So in the Greek, it's Zoe. Anybody have a friend named Zoe? Do you have any friends named Zoe? Okay, this has become fairly popular as a name recently. It's because of its meaning. Zoe means a state of one who is possessed of vitality, is animate, not inanimate. Right, your water bottle is an inanimate object. An animate object is something that has life. John 1 says, in him was life and that life was the light for all humanity. John 3.16 says, for whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. 
John 4, whoever drinks from the water I give, says Jesus, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, this is a life we get right now. We get to have this life right now. We enter it today. And it also says in this passage, it's a life that we will live eternally. When Christ, who is, which is present tense, who is our life, is revealed in the future, then you will also in the future be revealed with him in glory. So when Jesus comes back and marks eternity, we get to have life now and life then. And Jesus also says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Remind yourself as you listen to this next section that Paul again has spent two chapters reminding them about what Jesus has done for them and how they have life in Christ. We are no longer controlled, Paul said last week. We were talking about kind of the things that we do to confuse or complicate or add burdens to ourselves. He's coming off the heels of that and then he's going to say what he's going to say, okay? Verse 5. Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons and daughters of disobedience. And in them you also walked when you were living in them. But now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices. And I'm going to stop there for now. This is quite a list, isn't it? <laughs> Perhaps it can be overwhelming. And again, I'm going to say, this is why reading the Bible in context is so important. If we were to take just these verses out, we can feel that put on a burden that brings us down. And Paul literally has just said, don't let people tell you, do this, don't do that. Because it gives you this impression of being all like spiffy and wonderful, but on the inside, you are a hot mess. Okay? What he's talking about is in context of everything that has been said, which is Jesus Christ is supreme. He brings us life. In light of that, the things of this world, which is a way that they use to describe it, it does not mean that the world is evil. Okay? In the sense that everything's bad and we got to avoid it and run, screaming off into the woods. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. It was a way for them to describe the spiritual, which was godly, and the non-spiritual, which was, in quotes, I'm going to say, earthly. Okay? This is not an exhaustive list, but it's exhausting to go through. <laughs> so buckle up with me, okay? Paul's not even scratching the surface. We could add to this list, couldn't we? But perhaps these are the biggies for this church. Perhaps it's things that Paul was personally convicted about. You know how you get like that? And you got to tell everybody, you know about those plastic straws, how they're ruining the planet. And it's good. It's right. And for some reason, Paul is bringing that up. Or maybe he knows exactly what's going on in this church and they need to have some truth telling. The first few might make you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. This makes sense for a Christian to say to someone else, especially a Christian leader, let's be careful about these. Sex without boundaries. Parents, I think in the room, we'd be like, are my children listening? If they're the right age. Sorry, there's some little ones today. I know I'm going to go there today, so I'm sorry. You might have to have some conversations after church, those of you, okay? <laughs> but he talks about sexual immorality. 
sex without boundaries, evil passions, those things that we might not even act on but are in us, and impurity, which is more than just our sensual life in terms of sexuality, but it's anything that becomes outside of the realm of what God would say is good. And then I think it's fascinating that Paul adds on to this list where we might go, oh yeah, this makes sense. He points out greed, which leads, which is idolatry. When we want and want and want and buy and take and store and save and stockpile and go to the big box stores so that we can have 25 of them instead of one, this can be greed, which is idolatry. Number one commandment, you don't have any other gods other than Yahweh. That's what idolatry is, when we put something in the place of where God belongs. I read this week that Paul is a genius to include all of these sexual sins and then include financial cautions because they're all rooted in the same thing, in the same kind of brokenness. We're using other things or other people to satisfy a longing in us. Brian, I'm so glad we sang Yesu Christo Basta today. That is the song that I sing sometimes when I know I'm looking to something else other than Jesus. Jesus is enough for us. We can do this with sex and relationships and other people. And definitely we can do this with things and toys and buying and numbing ourselves. So something for the young people here, Ariana Grande, Seven Rings. This song, oh my gosh, it sort of has a, uh, these are a few of my favorite things feel to it. I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it. This is cut and paste from her lyrics. You like my hair? Gee, thanks, just bought it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. This is not to throw it on Ariana Grande, because I actually like a lot of her music, but that song in particular, I think reveals some of where we're at as a culture. I see it, I want it. I just go to Amazon, I got it in two days. Sometimes you can even get in one day. This, then Paul also includes anger and our words and lying to one another. So our sexual life, our relationship with things and money, Oh yeah, and then by the way, your words. Maybe it is an exhaustive list. <laughs> Paul says these things lead to death. They're also dead in us. Those of us who accepted Christ, we are dead to the power of those things. That's what happened when Jesus went to the cross. He put to death the power that the sin had over us. And I always say he was broken on the cross, but when he rose from the dead, he broke the power of that brokenness. And he showed that even death cannot stop him. Sex, relationship, money, words. Christ offers life and life to the full. <sighs> Yet they linger, don't they? Any of you who are a little early to church today? Brian and I had some words. They weren't ugly words, but we had a few words, okay? Two minutes ago before church started. Is that okay that I said that? Thumbs up from the back. It's sort of like the dead skin of that cicada. I'll post it on our community life page. You know, it's like almost off. There's just a little bit of that hanging out. Have you ever seen a snake shed the skin? We have people in the audience actually who have a snake. Those of you who are watching this later, I don't know what it's gonna be like for you because there's a playground in the background or whatever, but. But you know that image of like when it's just about off but it's not off yet? That was what my friend said. This is fascinating and kind of gross. <laughs> because we want it to come off. It clings to us sometimes. But the reality is that in Christ, 
we receive through faith a new body, a new life. And it's not just for us individually. Think of us corporately as a body, parts of a body. In community, we get to slough off that sexual sin and the impact that greed has on us. And corporately, we get to take off the power that words have over others and the brokenness that it causes. In Christ, that comes off. And God has created this for us and for the world that today we get to see in a way that we don't always on a Sunday morning. This all sounds like good news, doesn't it? But I would be a horrible teacher if I did not say anything to you about, well, how do we do this? <laughs> that sounds great. Yes, receive faith through Christ. I get that part maybe. Like we just have to receive it and say, yes, Lord. But then how do, what do I do, Sandy? I've got this dead stuff on me that I want to shed off. And I'm going to do something I don't always do. And I'm going to go back to the beginning of this section where Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. That's the point. Seek where Christ is. So the other day, Brian and I went swimming. I got to put this down for a minute and get, uh, Brian, can you grab my water? I was swimming on a pond that we hadn't swum before. It's at the base of Mount Cato. And Brian was swimming and a buddy of his was swimming and we were gonna go the perimeter of the pond. Thank you, I'm just starting, it must be the breeze. And as I was swimming, I kept looking for them and I lost them, like I couldn't see them. Thank you. And I started to get discouraged. I'm a really slow swimmer, but I was particularly discouraged that morning. So I swim with a pool buoy, it's bright orange, so that they can see where I am because I'm normally always by myself because I'm the slow swimmer. Anyway, so I took my pool buoy, which is like an inflatable thing, and I floated on my back. And I got in the water to the point, you know, you're on your back, and the water was covering, you know, my whole face, and I couldn't even hear anything because I was under the water. And I looked up, there was not a cloud in the sky that morning. The sun was hardly even up, actually. And I just thought to myself, what do I see right now? And then I thought of this verse. Set your mind on things above. Okay, Lord, here I am. I'm floating in the water. I'm setting my mind on things above. And I could notice this single bird that flew across. And it was incredibly quiet. And I was incredibly peaceful. And I could care less how fast I was swimming or how far I had gone or even where Brian and our friend was. And then I flipped over and I went about my swim. And I started noticing other things around the pond other than where those two were, the two I was trying to catch. And I thought to myself, maybe this is part of what Paul is talking about. The things are gonna be on us and cling to us and we're gonna have to slough them off, but man, if we don't take time to cut away all of the riffraff and all of the distractions, if we don't ever take that time, I'll tell you what, I have a feeling more of those things are going to cling to me than if I take the time to set my mind on things above and remind myself of what and who is really important. As I read these passages, uh, as I read these points of application at the end, I also want to acknowledge that sometimes when we are truly addicted to something, when we are really seeped in sin, just taking some time, you know, floating in the water, it's not going to do it. Sometimes there are things really, we do need some therapy. 
we need some prayer ministry. We need some people to come alongside and hold us accountable. Sometimes it's because things have been done to us and we need to do some soul work. So I don't mean to gloss over any of those things, but what I do want to say is I think that when we think about the things that are sticking to us, clinging to us, there are three that become very clear in this passage. And again, I would not be a great teacher if I didn't just go there today. So parents, here it comes. You ready? I'm not gonna get like inappropriate. But number one, it is your sex life. And some of you I'm looking at and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a sex life. And let me say that whether you are in your mind or your dreams or in your desires, regardless of what age you are, you have a sexual life, a sensual life. Whether you're young or old, married, single, divorced, widowed, dating, engaged, or whatever, what the scripture said is treat as dead the ways of the world. The things that they say are okay sexually, but obviously fly in the face of what the Bible says. We are to treat them as dead. And that they are gonna lie to you and say that's where life is. We need to treat that as dead. Get rid of it and kill it before it kills you. Secondly, okay, we're done with that part. Everybody take a deep breath. Your money and your things. What is your response to Paul's call to avoid idolatry and greed? Is it an idol in your life? Treat as dead the ways of this world, the way that the world is going to tell you you're going to have life if you have blah, 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 or if you make blah, blah, blah. Is it an idol in your life? Treat as dead the ways of the world that tell you there's life in that. Kill those habits before they kill you. And the last thing is words. So your sex life, your money and your things, and words. With all humility, I'm going to say this, and those of you who know me even a little bit, you know why I'm going to preface this. Watch what you say and how you say it. What you choose not to say. Telling the truth. Your social media habits. How and what you text. Treat as dead the ways of this world. The ways that the world say, oh, this is okay. You can do that. It's okay not to say anything about that. That's okay. Don't listen to the ways of this world. They tell you that there's life there and it's not the truth. Kill those habits before they kill you. Now, I use the exact same words because I want you to know that I think that the Bible is true about these things because God wants them in there, okay? And God values all three of those things. He wants you to know your whole life is important to him. And we in the church, I will own this, sometimes we put sexual sin right up there. Oh, no, 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 no. We shake and wag our finger at those things. We're sometimes really good at pointing out sexual sin. And not so much about the money or our words. A quote from a book I read this past week. There is no point in getting all morally absolute about sexual promiscuity if Christians are screwing around with the same consumeristic ways of life as everyone else. Can I get an amen from somebody? So hear me today. God cares about your sex life in your mind and in your body. But he cares about your finances and how you're using them and how sometimes we're benefiting because of other people and we're abusing them and using them just like others do sexually. He cares about our words. How we speak to our children and one another. 
what we choose not to say sometimes can affect us. And this is my favorite part. When we live this way, Paul paints for us a vision of what community and our individual lives can look like. So verse 10, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. The good news is that in Christ, we are new creations. That is the truth. We are not dead in our sin. We are new creations. We are made by Christ, in Christ, to have life and have it to the full. Renewed. And this leads to a beloved community. I mean, did you hear all those lists of the groups? We don't have time right now to get into all these distinctions. But let me just tell you, back in the ancient world, these were the big ones. These were the divisions that everyone who had a brain understood and they did not cross if they didn't want to get in trouble. In God's humanity, there is no room for these divisions. In God's house, there's no room for prejudice and divisions, race, class, gender, any sense of power. There's no room for that. We are not divided in God's house because in Christ, we have all that we need, all the life that we need, and life to the full. Amen.